con su risa, que ha pasado por su casa, que ha venido porque quiere ser feliz. Good morning. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana, uh, on the northern border of Indianapolis, Indiana. The date is September 29th. It's uh, 1130 in the morning. Uh, and it's a I wouldn't want to say a beautiful day, but at least it's not raining. It's cloudy, but it has stopped raining. And it's a chilly day. And um, I hope all of you are doing well. We're very fortunate today to have very special guests, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But first, I would like to thank uh, UCCS Radio for letting us have this show, and uh, and also to all the faculty and, and the staff and, and the students uh, who put, have put together a beautiful radio station, online radio station, run by the students, uh, nominated as one of the best college radio stations in the United States online. And uh, so thank you, and also thanks to Kyle Boyle, the station manager for all his help, and to Marge Mystery, who's no longer with us, for all her wonderful help she did over the years uh, at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, with the radio program and world languages. Um, today we have a special, special guest, and you're going to learn about her li uh, little by little, because I don't want to reveal any secrets here, but... Uh, Eloise is going to be talking to you. Eloise uh, Sureo? Sure. Surohale. Surohale, okay. Surohale. And, and Eloise is going to talk to you, and I wish my French were good and better <laughs> or whatever. But anyway, it's, um, but I love to talk French. I'm not good at it, but I love to talk and listen <laughs> to people talk French. Just such a beautiful language. Uh, so, anyway, Eloise, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing good. I went one more day and we have a weekend, right? One more day, one more day. <laughs> and we get to the weekend. Uh, yes. So, uh, Eloise, can you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, yourself, uh, your life uh, maybe, and uh, where you were born, et cetera, and where you um, received most of your education, and also... Sure. Um, some of your uh, travels, where you've been, because I know you've been to a lot of interesting places. So uh, we, um, you, you, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Well, hi, my name is Eloise Surohale. I am French originally. I was born and raised in France, on the west side of France. I came to this country when I was 21 years old. Um, so I've been here for a minute. Um, what to tell you? Yes, I came here because I was an English major, so I came here to study English. Um, I did my undergrad study at the University of Poitiers. I was studying English and linguistics and Spanish. Um, and I, um, I did an undergrad there. I did a master's degree there in English, uh, linguistics and literature. And I came to this country and I did a second master's because I thought it would be fun. So I did a, I came as an exchange student in Memphis, Tennessee, which was interesting when you have learned the, you know, the Queen's English, you arrive in Memphis, Tennessee. So that was a little bit of a challenge. Um, and I did a master's degree there in French linguistics and Spanish. And then I went on to do a PhD at Washington University in St. Louis. And I studied 19th century French studies, um, some linguistics. I continued with Spanish. And um, I have been a professor of French, associate professor of French at Butler University for going on 12 years now. I'm also the director of international studies. Um, and as far as my travels, I have been pretty much all over Europe. 
Uh, so that's, uh, that's the fun part. Definitely France, Spain, England, Scotland, Switzerland, a little bit of Italy. Um, uh, yeah, I've been to Morocco. I have been to Tunisia and I have not been to Latin America yet, but this is a place where I would really like to go. Um, I speak five languages, which is kind of what I like to do in my free time. So yeah, that's, that's about me. Okay, thank you so much. That was, that was a lot of information and wonderful information. Thank you so much. Uh, Welcome. Uh, I'm astounded. I had no idea that you spoke five languages. I figured maybe three. Not fluently. Three. I'm fluent in three and I'm kind of conversational in two others. Well, you're pretty good and I know you're pretty good in Spanish, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm very good. Uh, did, um, I want to back up for a second. Two, two items. Uh, I had no idea that you had been in Memphis. I I, yes. Back in, I don't know what year it was, maybe 2000, 2003, and I got I did a workshop for the Memphis school system there, and uh, I had I'd never really been in Memphis much, and since then we've gone back twice. Uh, uh-huh. It's such an interesting city, right? It Memphis, is. It's just a lovely cultural place. I mean, there's so many things that happen there, right? With music. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. You know, I mean, that's where I went the first time that um, as an exchange student, I went to Rhodes College and then I stayed to do the master's degree. But it was a very interesting cultural experience for me coming from France, directly coming into Memphis. That was one of the places for exchange. What a wonderful place to be. I mean, nothing, nothing is more American than Memphis. I mean, with the music and all the great music that started there and the civil rights movement. I mean, there's so many things there. What what a wonderful place to be in the United States. Wow. Yeah, it was was interesting. And then I went to St. Louis to do my my, uh, PhD. So that was another very rich, you know, place to live. Um, I also lived for a minute in California while finishing my PhD because they were giving us the opportunity to go spend a year somewhere else to do some research without having to teach on a fellowship. So I lived in Oakland, which was another interesting oh, cultural yes, experience. That's, that's another place. <laughs> well, you were near to the, uh, uh, there, again, there's so many things going on in all these places. And you were near the, the Haight-Asbury place in San Francisco yes. where the hippie movement started. Uh, yes. Did, um, so but this uh, idea of um, travel then in itself, Yes. You're a perfect fit for that job, right? International. I can think of nobody yes. <laughs> who knows as much about travel as you do because I already knew you travel a lot, but now I, I mean, it's amazing what you've done with your travel. Um, back to the Washington, Washington University, a great university, and I'm sure yes. your, your French must be off the chart, your knowledge of, of French and things because of uh, it's such a great university. And I, one of my uh, favorite professors in Spanish I studied with him at Indiana University. He went to uh, Washington University and, and taught there for years. His name was Schreibman, that you probably didn't know of him. Yes, of course. <laughs> you knew him. Okay. I knew him. Yes, I knew him. He was there a couple of years before he retired. Right. So, of course, I know him. Yes, and he was, uh, he actually is Cuban, of course. He, he was from mm-hmm. Cuba. And uh, he, um, I studied um, uh, Galdos with him. He was an yes. expert on, uh, on Benito Perez Galdos, yes. and he was a great teacher, just a really dynamic teacher in those days. Now, and he did, I know he did retire from there. And, yes. Uh, yeah, but just a great, great university. Did you like St. Louis? Oh, I really enjoyed yes, St. Louis. Another great I absolutely place. enjoyed St. Louis. I was there throughout my whole PhD. I really, really, really enjoyed yes. the city. I lived in the Loop. 
you know, I mean, the West End was right there. You could just go to, like, Leeds Landing. Um, so many cultural things to do. You know, with Soulard, you have a little bit of French there. So really, really a very culturally rich city that I thoroughly and, enjoyed. And, and evidence that, uh, and that people from another country, like in your case, I'm yes. sure you have traveled much, much more than many Americans in the United States, you know, where you've lived in different uh, cultural centers. And St. Sure. Louis is certainly a cultural center, as is Memphis and Oakland. But uh, all of those wonderful places, what wonderful experience. Uh, and you certainly... The beauty of it is you bring all that to the classroom, right? I mean, that's perfect. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, oh, yes. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So now let's talk about this, your job at uh, Butler University. Um, yes. You do French, of course, right? And, yes. And then you have this international studies job, right? This well, international studies is, um, is an interdisciplinary program. It's, right. um, it's a major in itself. We have a major and a minor. We have close to you know, 55 to 60 majors altogether. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of IS, we call it IS affectionately, <laughs> is uh, the fact that it is interdisciplinary. So you have a few classes you have to take within international studies, which is basically a mix between political science, economy, culture. But the students have the opportunity to take classes from many different departments. They get to learn political science if they want to, sociology, anthropology, they can take a language. So really, I do not have two majors who graduate with the exact same major. They can really create the major that fits their, um, their lifestyle, that fits their desire, that fits what they want to do after. So really, I mean, teaching French, while at the same time being director of this program, I also teach GHS, which is Global Historical Study. It's a mandatory course for sophomores, which is more historical culture, mm -hmm. um, you know, brought, brought to the students to give them an idea of what is going on in the world. So all this really creates an atmosphere of, of the students really interested in, in not only learning about their own culture, but also uh, being curious about what is going on in the world, what is happening from different lenses, the political science point of view, from the economy point of view, from the culture point of view. So, yes, it is, it is a fun job I have. I'm enjoying it. Boy, that's, that's, that's just wonderful that you're able to do that and and bring all of your background to the to that job. I mean, sure. you're just a perfect fit for you, right? I mean, it really is. Oh, yeah, it is, absolutely. And I, I publish in 19th century French studies, but I'm also publishing in other things nowadays. I mean, I'm actually um, going to be part of a, of a volume that is going to come up in 2017, which is working on sin and tra uh, sins and um, transgressions in the English-speaking world, so you can really, you know, do a lot of things yes. and, and get your interest spread out a little, so it's, yeah, so, I'm doing what, it. What is that about sins and transgressions in the English what, I Yeah, mean, uh, it's a volume that I've been invited to participate in, and I'm still waiting a little bit on details. I just sent an abstract, well, but this is, you know. that's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting because it goes through various centuries and uh, how the concept of sin and concept of, of transgression have actually evolved throughout the centuries. So it is going to be a very interesting collaboration that is going to take place. That's, that's wonderful. Now, why do you teach French and why the international studies, what motivates you to, to do this and to help people? I mean, obviously you certainly want to help people, but sure. what beyond that, what motivates you to, to do that? 
Well, I think this is good for students, I mean, people pretty much of all age, to have an idea about other cultures and other languages. And that's one of the reasons that I teach French and that I decided to do a PhD in French, which is my language, granted, my first language, but it is also something that I had to learn how to, you know, how really the language functions in order to, to um, show it to other people and teach it to other people. I feel that, you know, my students and, and me at the same time, you learn a lot about yourself, a lot about your own culture when you teach another language. So the students, you know, when they are, I teach them a linguistics course, teaching them, you know, how the language works, how when you translate word to word, why it does not work. It doesn't function. So the students, you know, learn how the language function, how the French language function. They learn the, the French culture at the same time, and they can look back at their own self. They can look back at the way their language functions. They can look back at their own culture and compare and contrast and not anymore just accept what is going on in America or accept what is going on in their language, but reflect back and, and choose have the ability to choose, you know, this is what I want to do, this is what I do not want to do, but at least I have an opening now, I understand another culture, and I am able to reflect on the things that I do, and, and capable of realizing whether it is good or not good. It is, it is a way to have a choice. Now, if you were teaching, let's say you're teaching French class, or, <laughs> and I, I want to comment before I move on about how beautiful your English is. I mean, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> your English is outstanding, I mean, it just is beautiful, I mean, it's incredibly good. And so Thanks. you studied English, right? Yes, yes, yes. And you studied, but you also picked it up a lot here in the U.S., right? Living here? Absolutely. Coming to Memphis, it basically roughly took me six months to be able to be part of a conversation. I knew British English. Um, in the French system, we never really had a chance to speak much in the classroom, even though English was what I was doing pretty much 24-7. I could read, but speak was not so you know, much focused on. So when I arrived in Memphis and I was an exchange student, it, I was surrounded by people who spoke Spanish, uh, who spoke English, sorry, 24-7. So um, it gave me the possibility to really work on my pronunciation. And I've been working on it ever since. I still have, you know, holes in my knowledge of the English language. And sometimes I make mistakes. And when I'm tired, the English goes out the window. But, you know, it is, it is a fun language, and I thoroughly enjoy well, studying just, it. you do a beautiful job speaking English. Magnificent, Thank you. magnificent. Now, uh, so that today that we have this um, culture, we talk about culture, we have the presidential election going on. Yes. Uh, and we talk about culture in, um, in the U.S., the United States, for example. Uh, yes. Our, our, our um, country is kind of... Uh, we're just kind of uh, moving to a point where um, maybe we're making decisions, right? Whether we want to be more uh, global or we want to mm -hmm. be more nationalistic and, you know, kind of shut the doors a little bit to things. Um, is that a challenge? Do you find that a challenge teaching languages as well? I do. I mean, with the student attitudes, let's say, that they come to class and they have this uh, preconception, right? Maybe or this is how it is, and uh, kind of not uh, flexible sometimes. Absolutely, except for the simple fact that the students are sponges, and they are adorable. So they arrive, and they do have that idea, you know, that you do not need to learn another language because everybody else in the world is going to speak your language. Well, the beauty of Butler University is that you have a language requirement. 
at least in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. So they were forced, no matter what, to take at least two semesters of a language at the 200 level or above, so they are going to be exposed. Now, a lot of them come from high school having had a language experience already, so they are willing to continue. But for those who have that idea that, you know, a language is not important, there is no reason for me to learn another language, the minute that you start titillating them a little bit with the idea of travel, with the idea of opening your mind, with the idea that look at the way those people here do things and look at the way, you know, look how cool it is what they do for this festival or for that festival. Look how interesting it is the way they eat, what they eat, the tradition, yeah. all this. Then they start realizing, ooh, this is so cool. I want to know more. I want to learn more. And, and they come to the language classes already feeling excited. And one of the things that you just brought up for the language teachers listening, uh, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought some of those topics up there, is this idea of culture, you know, <laughs> how the people live and, and uh, some of the other important things, uh, the monuments, the famous writers, etc. cetera. Um, how important do you think that is in teaching uh, world languages? The culture? Yes. It's vital. It's uh, something that the students are extremely interested in. They actually learn the language through culture. This is the way that now we have had to change our way of teaching. I mean, I used to teach French through the grammar, but now you kind of have to go the other way and, and teach them as much culture in order to get them to the language. So this is something that, first of all, they're very interested in. They want to know. They want to get a sample of a French crepe. They want to know what we do for Christmas. This is what I get in my classroom. I mean, the classrooms are not exactly very big, and the students and I, we have a wonderful relationship. So they are not afraid to just tell me, hey, Eloise, how do you do Christmas? You know, what's going on? This is a, a festival in France. I heard about it. Can you tell me more about it? And they, and they are so excited to hear about how the French do things. And, and again... Uh this probably would, would, if we talk about the role of the college uh, language professor in today's society, world languages, for the listeners especially, this idea of the importance of culture, that uh, that's what the kids like, that's what they want to do, they, yes. they want to know all these things, and, and they want to learn a little grammar, but they really want to learn about the, the, the customs, how people live, and, and travel, as you said, and, and learn Absolutely. all about uh, and uh, uh, I hope that uh, the high school teachers listening as well, that you're able to teach a lot of culture as well, that, uh, that uh, in, at that particular level of language instruction, uh, I, I know sometimes the teachers, they, you get bogged down and, and, you, and to AP ideas, the AP, mm. Eloise, you know about that, right? The AP, of course. Of course. And, and sometimes you get so involved with that and so... Um, you're kind of controlled by this idea. You have to cover all the grammar. You have to, and it becomes a grammar-heavy situation, where I think sometimes we really ignore the culture uh, at the expense of some of these other items. But uh, uh, but I feel also that the the linguistics. You know, having the linguistic part. I am so very fortunate to have studied linguistics because linguistics and understanding how the language functions, semantics you know, phonetics, phonology, enunciation, all of these little pieces of the big thing that we call the study of linguistics, study of language, is helping me bridge that gap with the student and bring the culture. So to give you a very, you know, simple example that I give to all my classes, I pick three languages 
and I give them the exact same sentence in three languages and have a look at how those, those sentences and the way they are structured actually help with the culture. So I give them French, English, and Hindi. And it's very simple. It's I am hungry. I am hungry in English is with the verb to be. It's a state. I am hungry. And you are the one doing the action with the verb to be. You are hungry. It's a state. In French, it's j'ai faim. Same thing. You still have the, the uh, first person singular doing the action. But then now you have the verb to have. It's a possession. It's something that is not ingrained in you like in English. I have, you know, I am hungry. Now it's I have hunger. And then when you go to the other side and you look at it from the Hindi perspective, it's me book raihu. Me book raihu is hunger is upon me. Now you are a passive person to that state of hungerness that is pretty much falling onto you. So three little examples of a sentence that is so very simple gives them an idea of how people perceive things and how culture is, is brought into the classroom. Yes, and beautiful examples, wonderful. Now... What about the speaking today? Um, and I, I wanted to bring something up about comparisons. And that, and you remember the five C's of, of language learning, right? That, yes. That's one of them, comparisons. And I wish that the books would do more with that today in this day and age. Because sometimes they get top-heavy, though, with, let's say, French or Spanish, and which is fine. But I don't know if they create enough comparison in the book itself, right? To help yep. the students, you know, to, to, to master some of that. But um, what the speaking aspect of, of world language today, do you see it being a lot better today than it was, say, 10 years ago, five years ago? And if so, why? Well, it kind of depends on the student. But I know the students in general, if I were to take the student body in general, this is what they want. They don't want to be able to read it as much as, you know, you would think. They're not interested necessarily in reading a book. They just want to be in the communication process. So this is what I see a lot from the students who are coming from high school into the college experience. And they arrive and they speak fairly well. I mean, they're totally capable of holding a conversation in French. It's not perfect. Obviously, there are mistakes here and there. But they are pretty capable of really making themselves understood Whereas they have had, they have not had that much practice in writing and they make much, many more mistakes writing than they do speaking. So I know this is something that clearly, at least in Indiana or around here, this is what the high schools are focusing on. And this is something that has been strong in the students because it seems that this is what they want. They want to go travel. They want to go visit other places. They want, they want to go meet other people. So the speech is something that has been very focused on. Yeah, I think ACFEL, over the years, ACFEL has helped yep. a lot with that, with the, with the, uh, the oral communication and uh, yes. the speaking aspect of language learning. Um, now, what about this um, um, world, world languages today? Why is it important? Uh, for anybody, really, it could be a young person, it could be a, a, a child, it could be um, uh, somebody uh, in, in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, adults. Why is it important for all those people to learn about, to learn a language and a, and a culture? I hate to just say word language, it should be language, culture, because they're kind of sure. one, one thing. but. Why is that important, especially in the United States? And you've been here a lot in, 
And I, I really always feel like we don't do enough in the United States uh, to get the word out. Maybe politically, I don't know, but uh, uh, around the country, how important it is to study world languages and cultures. So, yes. Well, this, um, my answer is going to be in three points. Uh, first of all, the personal. Second of all, the enter, you know, the under. Uh, relationship between people, and third of all, the outside world. So first of all, it is good for you to learn a language because it is going to make you a more open, a better rounded person. You're going to be, you know, a student of the liberal arts, and you're going to learn about yourself. You're going to learn about your own culture by learning about another culture. So it makes you a better person. It makes you a more rounded person, a more open person, somebody who is more capable of understanding the other, which is leading me to my second point where you are going to be, I mean, this is a melting pot. America has always been a melting pot. This has always been a country where you have people coming from all over. So you are going to be more able to communicate and to relate to all these people that are coming here that are, you know, that are part of the U.S. They are American citizens. They've been here for forever, but they do have a different culture. So being more open and more capable of understanding them is creating a society that is a little bit more peaceful, you know, there's going to be less conflict. You're not going to have, um, you know, uh, battles, for lack of a better word, and between are, different are, are groups. Misunderstandings, right? Misunderstanding, yeah. absolutely, which are going to lead to, if yes. not war, at least, you know, some difficulty among right. communities. And the last point is job. This is the time of globalization. You know, you are going to, I always tell my students, you know, you do not know what a company has in mind. You have no idea. So when you apply for a job, let's say at company XYZ, and this company has in mind that they want to open a branch in Canada, in Mozambique, in Asia, somewhere else, you know, in Europe, they want to open you know, some kind of branch there. They want to expand their own business. Well, they're going to be looking at someone who already knows the language. It's not necessarily going to be in the, uh, in the ad that you are applying to uh, to get the job, but they are thinking, well, I'm going to open the branch, open the branch in Quebec. So let's have a look at somebody who speaks French. So you have an edge. You will be able to get the job better if that company... Is, is open to other things. I have a student, true story, who graduated a couple of years ago. She is now in Seattle and she is working for Amazon France. She is working for the French branch of Amazon in Seattle. Why? Because she was a French major. And that allowed her to get a better job and to, you know, and to be more competitive compared to other candidates because she knew the French language. That's how she got the job. Now, if, if we were telling the listeners a little bit uh, about where could you get a job if you knew another language, there are a sure. lot of places. As you mentioned, Amazon. I suppose yeah. Apple probably has something. Apple, Microsoft. I mean, I, I think pretty much the, the list is endless. And I mean, every is. company, you know, worth their salt nowadays will have branches everywhere. Walmart. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, what's the... Um, uh, State Department, of course, the FBI, the government, uh, CIA, oh, yeah. all the embassies, government. you know, the UN, the you embassy. can, you know, yeah. you can really go into, into some things like this, but you can also go abroad. You can you, do the yeah, opposite. I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes I think we, in language classes that we were languages, we sometimes forget to emphasize that a lot. I mean, where can you get a job? I mean, there's so many places and, and which is a huge reason to be bilingual, right? As you said, Absolutely. I mean, it's just a wonderful reason to be bilingual. Now, 
the um, um, this um, concept of um, studying abroad, for example. What about could we possibly do in the future? I'm just throwing this out. Could our government say down the road instead of maybe cut? Maybe they could cut back on bombs and money that's spent on bombs. Wonder what we could do if we had. Uh, obligatory study in high school and college where you had to study maybe two weeks in high school and three or four weeks in college abroad. Well, that, Wouldn't that be wonderful? Everybody, everybody. And, oh, well, and you, at, the, at the college level, um, sorry, at the high school level, I think the minimum should have to be a month. You would go with the professor maybe, I mean, you would go, I don't know how exactly the high school um, right. calendar works, but maybe, you know, right after the high school leaves uh, right before the summer, just go take a group and stay a month. A month is, is a minimum. But, At the college but, level, we go for a semester. But if, if you could require it for, for all the students and, you know, and maybe even even if they don't take a language, they could take one when they get there, you know, a little introduction. Sure. But just to get them to another country and a culture to see and to be friends with, with those people and... Uh, it would probably reduce the wars and everything else. I mean, it would be huge what we could do with maintaining peace in the world if we could get the, the students to go and maybe help out. Uh, we, we used to have, remember, the Peace Corps, which still exists, but, uh, but maybe to, to have government service where instead of drafting people for the army, that we could do something like that, you know, where they actually have to go to a country and study for a while or, or live with a family. Well, one of my colleagues, I mean, I was having a um, discussion, it was maybe about, I don't know, about a year ago or something with a colleague in another department, and, and we were talking, I mean, you know, hypothetically, that what would be wonderful is if the high school students were required to study abroad a semester, if not a whole year, right after their high school diploma and right before they enter college, meaning that, I mean, it's not doable, and I understand that, but it would be a wonderful idea if college required for the high school student to have been abroad for a year before they can even apply to college. That would be wonderful. The, the students would be more prepared, they would be more open, they would be capable, more capable of, of really embracing what they're learning in college Absolutely. if they had been yes. exposed to this, this kind yes. of wonderfulness. Yeah, wonderful ideas. And hopefully down the road we can see some of the, these things happen, you know, where it actually takes place. Um, that would be nice. Now, the, the role of technology in teaching today it's, it's changed everything. The technology has changed the way we teach, the way we live. Um, yes. But what do you think the biggest impact has been in world languages as far as the technology? Well, I feel that uh, the students are more capable of accessing another language in a fun way. I mean, there is that beautiful program which is called Duolingo, and you can just play with it and learn another language and practice it and just have fun with something and, and learn at the same time. But it is, it is fun. And I think this is what technology has done. It has brought the fun to the classroom. Once upon a time, the classrooms were dry. The teachers were dry. But now, with the technology, I use a lot of YouTube videos in my classes yes. because they are fantastic. They are, and, you know. And they're authentic. They're, authentic. Yes. yes. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I can, I can have them watch the French news, you know, everything that happened yes. yesterday yes. in the French news. I can have them see that in the classroom and hear the authentic yes. French 
So I, I feel that technology has yes. really brought the brought, world yes. closer. And especially, as you said, YouTube especially. Yeah, YouTube. Um, so if you had to say the challenges today in teaching world languages, what are the two top challenges you think there are? Um, student preparedness is one problem uh, because when you arrive in college, students come from all over the place and some are wonderful and some are a little bit less prepared when it comes to the language. So in the, in the French classroom or in the language classrooms in general in college, you have people who have placed Everybody who has placed at the same level with the placement test will be in the same classroom. And that could be people who can speak fluently or also people who don't. So all that difference in level is what is creating a little bit of a challenge to, Dude, to keep everybody together. Do you think there's a, a lack of articulation between college professors and high school teachers in language study? And I know there is, I, I, and you do too, I'm sure. But Oh, uh, yes. Back in 1979, I did a little article in, in, in foreign language channels about the articulation between the high schools and colleges. And there wasn't any at that time, very, very little. I think there's a little more today, but not much. And uh, I remember in the 80s and 90s, we were trying to develop uh, visitations, you know, where we would invite college people to come and visit high schools in high schools. And the college people, the professor would invite us to go to, to the college. But it was very difficult. Everybody had schedule conflicts. And, sure. and we did some, but it kind of faded away. It lasted about five or six years. I think there was a big movement in the United States to, to, to improve the articulation. But now, I don't know. It's, it's, it seems to me like it's less. It's, am I right about that or not? Oh yes, there's absolutely no connection. I mean, I do. I hardly know any, you know, high school professor in town except the people, a couple of people who happen to be my friends. They were friends of mine before I actually realized that they were high school teachers. So that's that's how the connection started. But I think that another problem is is the way we approach things. Um, I know at the college level we all require to have a PhD if we want to, you know, get a tenure track job. So with the PhD, you have a certain knowledge, you have acquired a certain way of thinking because we, you know, we do research. The high school teachers, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what diploma they're required to have, but this is not the same concept. This is not the same way of looking at the language. Um, I know a couple of high school teachers who haven't gone to the country in years. Um, I think that should be required for the college professors and for the high school professors Excellent. to go to the language, yes. just practice, you know? Excellent point. Uh, and I, and I second that, and I know, uh, have known over the years, uh, quite a few high school teachers who never travel much. And, yes, uh, and that's was, a problem. And it was sad in a way that they, they weren't able to travel. Now, um, so, but again, I always thought it would be nice to have articulation, right? To, sure. to sit down, even at IFLTA, for example, uh, at our own state conference. And we used to do that a little bit and, and. Not as much as we wanted to. Uh, there was a lady named Sarah Sass. I don't know if you ever heard of Sarah. She was in Bloomington for a while, then she went to the University of Colorado and uh, taught. And she was a Spanish professor, but she was really into to the, the uh, articulation piece, you know, about language learning. Um, I don't know how it could be improved, but there's probably ways to do it, you know. That, uh, but I, I would, I'd be nice if it got picked up again as a major issue. And it might. I mean, there's people talking, you know, around the country, you know, we need to improve it a little bit, et cetera. 
Um, what are your three favorite places to visit? Your three favorite cities? That's a <laughs> tough question because you've been around the world a, a lot of times uh, traveling around. What are your three favorite places? I would say first and foremost, Paris. Paris is the city of everything. I mean, every time I go home, and I go home about once a year, Paris is the city of everything. It is absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, my second favorite city, I would have to say San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I really, really, really enjoy San Francisco. This is a place where I feel, yes. I feel at home. And the third one, I probably would go with Glasgow. Glasgow is, it, it has its own charm, you know, I mean, it's darker because it's Scotland and the weather is not always nice, but it is green and, and I mean, it has an eerie feeling to it, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So that would be my three choices. Okay. Um, and Paris is one of my favorite places. I've only been there twice, but I loved it when I was there. And uh, just a beautiful, beautiful city, magnificent. And mm. uh and Madrid is one of my favorites. Madrid, which I find delightful with all the museums and the food in the neighborhoods, etc. Very pretty city, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Valencia in the south. Valencia, I mean, all these yeah. Spanish cities are beautiful. Barcelona, you know, it's beautiful. Barcelona. Uh, now, so we're going to just what's your what are your two favorite sports? Ooh, I ooh, that's that's a tough one. Um, I would have to say soccer. Okay. I really enjoy soccer. You know, I'm not French for nothing. <laughs> they always have a good team, right? They always, for the World Cup, they always do very well. What about yeah. uh, the other, what's the other sport? I don't know. I mean, I would have to say probably gymnastics. I really okay. enjoy watching gymnastics. I think that what they're doing with their body, the way they're twisting, you know, it takes a mental as much as a physical effort to do this. So I would have to go with these two. I think yeah. those two they're, are, they're are so are disciplined, aren't they? The gymnasts, they're yes. very disciplined. Um, I like that. What about your uh, two, your two favorite hobbies? Um, I would have to go with three, and that's what I do on my free time. First, the big one for me is reading. I mean, I read, I, I mean, I read for my research, I read for my job, but I try to read anywhere between three and five novels outside of work, outside of everything per month, wow. just to get my head out of, you know, thinking of correcting or thinking of anything. So I just, you know, I just read novels, you know, anything that comes out, preferably I really enjoy the Pulitzer Prizes, but really reading novels is what I enjoy. I'm also a dancer. I'm a ballroom dancer, so um, oh, I do a lot of dancing. I did not know that. Yeah, I do Argentine tango. I do all the ballroom. I, I do West Coast swing. Tango. I bet you knew, knew how to do the tango. Yes, yeah. I do salsa. You know, so I thoroughly so, enjoy do you dancing. Take lessons here in, t in the city too. Do you go to? Ballroom? Oh yeah, absolutely. I go. I go. I don't know. I would say about three, maybe four times a week, depending on my my level of work. A it's a nice way to yeah. get you know a away of mine, from. Uh, does that from time to time? His name is uh, Chuck Hodge. You probably don't know. Mm -hmm. Chuck. Um, he, I probably know him because the dance community is not this big. Yeah, he, he's, so, quite, yeah. he's quite good. He, uh, he's uh, uh, very, very good. But he, I, I, as from what I think, he uh, also does the tango, right? Which is yeah. hard to do. That's not an easy dance. It is not an no, easy dance, no, but no. it is. It's a very disciplined. It's yes. good for your body. It's good for your mind. You know. And I swim. That's my last, my last really? hobby, which I do once a week, which I thoroughly you, enjoy. You are busy. You are really busy. <laughs> oh, I like it. This is fun. <laughs> I know. It's fun to be busy, right? I mean, if, oh, yeah. what would we do if we weren't busy, right? I mean, we want to be busy. Okay, yeah. now what about uh, your two favorite singers? 
Um, I don't really have any particular singer in mind. I have types of music that I enjoy. I really enjoy anything that comes from Latin America. I'm a Latino music um, person. I really thoroughly very much enjoy anything salsa, bachata, anything Latino like this. That's my kind of music. I like that a lot. Yeah. And I like classical. Yeah, the Cubans, of course, in Cuba, they're, they're yes. really into the salsa. And Celia Cruz was, was uh, yes. born in Cuba. Uh, yep. spent much of her life in Miami, but uh, uh, the uh, yeah, that's good. That's quite a quite a dance. This also stuff. Um, in uh, your favorite day of the week, what is that? It happens to be Thursday. I really enjoy Thursdays because you're not at the weekend yet, but you have the anticipation that it is coming. You know, I really like Thursdays. It's a that's happy good. day. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's a great. I never thought of that. But you do feel better on Thursday, right? You feel you know better. Tomorrow's Friday, right? Yes, that's That's good. it. Tomorrow is Friday. You know, you're not there at the weekend, yes, but you, you can see it. You know, Beautiful. it's right there at your fingertips. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Now, if you were uh, um, talking about all-time favorite teachers, who was your all-time favorite teacher that inspired you the most, If you, that you remember that person? Who was that? There were two people. There were a couple um, they were Mrs. and Mr. Comte, and they were in France. Mrs. Comte was the lady that I had when I first learned Spanish, um, which was uh, the equivalent of your eighth grade. We always have to take a second language in eighth grade. So I picked Spanish. And this lady really taught the foundation of Spanish. The reason why I, I'm fluent in Spanish today is because she has... She gave the students at the time the foundation of the language and the joy of the language. We listened to music. We were doing things with the language, and it was a pleasure. And the second person was her husband. And her husband was a history professor in high school, and he was absolutely brilliant. I would just hang on his lips. Every time you had a question, if you wanted to know a little bit about some historical point, he knew it. And I was just deeply in love with his brain, and those two people really have shaped yeah. my idea of what education should be. And then, you, and they always say that you never know where your influence goes when you're teaching, and, it, and it's correct. And yeah. uh, and uh, over the years, and when I run into students, they end up doing things that you're amazed by what they do, right? And yeah. like you know, you say about the, the, your student who did Amazon, right? But yes. And I'm sure you have tons more who've done other wonderful things uh, and how fortunate they are to have you teaching. But uh, uh, interesting that you were in the eighth grade because uh, years ago when I first started teaching, I taught in middle school. And it was one of my favorite. I, I had seventh grade and eighth grade. And uh, seventh grade was a delight. I love seventh grade. Eighth grade was a little more challenging. You know, the kids were getting a little more, you know, but they had this enthusiasm, like, and I'm sure you did. But it was such a great level to teach at that age because in seventh, eighth grade, those are probably the two most exciting years in language teaching because the kids are all excited and it's new and you you can do so much. And we do, I, I do think sometimes at those levels, middle, middle school and high school, some of the great teachers are at the middle school level. Some of the motivating great teachers in the United States. Same thing, are in the middle school. You know, the people that really connect with people, you know, the kids. Absolutely. And uh, what they do. And they're just some wonderful, wonderful teachers. Um, there was one in Indianapolis, Louise Legrado. I don't know if you knew, didn't know Louisa. 
she taught at Wesleyan Middle School. She became the Indiana Teacher of the Year uh, three years ago in all disciplines at all levels, high school and elementary and middle school, uh, but at, at that level. And just uh -huh. was, a, was a great teacher. She moved recently, I think this past year, no, this year, first year she moved up to North Central High School now. But uh, just a wonderful teacher, uh, and uh, but and she's influenced so many kids, you know, just yes. with her enthusiasm, such as your teacher. I mean, what a great thing that you, but you never know, right? That's you never know, you absolutely, never know. you never no, know. You never know. <laughs> um, so, where are we going in world language study in today's university? What's going on with that? Do you think we're on a good path? Well, I mean, it kind of depends on which way you want to look at it. I mean, we're on a good path in the sense that we still have language at the college level. So, you know, we, we, we've heard of some of those universities having had to cut the language programs to one language, if not to zero language. So that, that's a tragedy. So the fact that some, you know, most universities this day still have a language program, still have language requirement, means that there is the mentality that understands that learning another language is definitely good for everybody on the personal, on the intrapersonal, and on the world level, the professional level. But um, unfortunately, unless you are a big university like WashU, you know, at Butler, for instance, we have so few languages, it's almost sad, it's very sad. We have the big ones, you know, always Spanish is very popular. French is hanging in there, you know, we're doing pretty well as far as French goes. Um, Chinese is, is continuing to, to be pretty important, German to some extent. But where is Russia? Russian, you know, where is Japanese? Where is Hindi? Portuguese, All of these languages, Portuguese, you know? All these languages that I would love to see more universities teach um, only are offered in the ones that have the money for it, that have the resources for it. You know, the WashU of this universe yes. really can do it, but Butler cannot. But, and, and we have to think of ways, right, to help the small schools, the universities have the funds again. And those are challenges, I think, politically, that uh, things, all, all these things we're talking about with education, that mm -hmm. I, I wish that the candidates running for office were able to talk about some of the things like education, right? And what education, do, absolutely. You know, which we rarely hear, you know. So, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. the, the Europe um, in, in USA, um, the views, the studying world languages, is it different in Europe when oh, you, you, bet. Say, you, you know, I want to learn some French, I want to learn Italian, Spanish, German. Um, and obviously, the, the distances are shorter, right? I mean, you're close to the countries. Is, does that have a big impact, you think? Versus, oh, yes, absolutely. Versus the U.S. being so big and massive, right? So. Oh, absolutely, yes. Well, first of all, this is Europe, too. So clearly you have, you know, an idea. Although the fact that now the European language is English. So that if you are, you know, a person from France talking to somebody from Spain or talking from to somebody from, I don't know, Denmark or Sweden, English is going to be the language that is going to be used. But when I was growing up in France, you know, in the 80s and 90s, um, you had to learn English, you know, I mean, you had the choice entering um, junior, what is it, junior high in sixth grade, um, you could take English or German, so you had to have a language your first year in, in, in middle school. And after that, in eighth grade, like I was talking to you earlier, you had to pick another one. And usually the choices were Italian or Spanish or English, if you had done German as your first language, if you lived in the north and you were closer to, 
you know, countries like, like you know, the Netherlands or, or Denmark. So by the time I graduated high school, I had seven years of English and five years of Spanish. And after that, you can continue. So, so it is, and, and, and after me, I mean, the generation that came after me, I remember at some point they were actually forcing students to learn English earlier than that. And I think it started in what would be your fourth grade fourth and fifth grade. So children were encouraged and actually, you know, that was part of the education system to learn English very early on. So it is true that the countries being so small and we all kind of interconnected, it, it encourages people because you see, you know, German people are coming, you know, um, whereas in the US you have that idea that, well, I don't need to learn another language if I want to go travel to California or if I want to go travel to New York, people are going to speak English. But I think, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see that it has changed a bit because, like I said earlier, we, we are teaching languages. So there is a market for it. There is a need for it. And people are starting to understand how useful it is and how better off you are yourself and in the world, a citizen of the world, when you understand another culture and another language. Eloise, you have been wonderful today in this first oh, well, thank show. You. <laughs> I cannot believe that you are a fountain of information about world languages. And you've helped oh, us, you. I think you've helped the listeners uh, have a really, really good concept about what is language learning and language study, what it involves, international travel. And sure. uh, I'm so happy that you were able to be on the show because it's just marvelous, all of your information. And uh, we thank you very, very, very much for being with us. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. An honor, My pleasure. An honor My pleasure. It's an honor to have you on the show, someone with all of your experience and background. And uh, please enjoy the weekend. Now that it's Thursday, I'm going to go, oh, we only got one more. I love that. I love that idea. So uh, in, the, in the meantime, um, uh, have a wonderful weekend. And Thank you, you I'll too. see you at Butler, um, you know, who knows where, right? I mean, it's kind of a, you know, everybody's yep. so busy. but uh, In the corridor somewhere. In the corridor somewhere. <laughs> But uh, it's been a pleasure to have you, and uh, thank you so likewise, much for being likewise. on the program. And for the listeners, uh, I hope to have a show, the next show, from uh, live from Mexico, uh, a radio show from Mexico for you, some uh, Mexican teacher uh, um, from Mexico talking to you. So, everybody, thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. Thanks to everybody at uh, RadioUCCS.edu. And everybody, have a great, great weekend. And thank you for joining the show and being with us. We look forward to seeing you, hearing you next time. Bye. Bye. Say, oh, one more thing, Eloise. I forgot to have you say some things in French. Could you say uh, um, some few things in French about the weekend? Because you, she speaks such beautiful French. Okay. <laughs> le weekend va être absolument fantastique et j'attends avec impatience que ce soit le weekend. Bueno, ustedes, mil gracias. Y nos vemos muy pronto, okay? We'll see you all soon. Have a great weekend, eh? Que descansen, babe. Bye. Canta corazón, que el amor de mi 